Amen, amen. Well, good morning, Haynes Creek. Uh, good to be with you today. Hope you are doing well. As we get started, I just want to share a couple of announcements real quick before we dig in uh, to what we have today. But uh, I know we, we had the blessing of not tearing down last Sunday. Uh, well, we do have to tear everything down and put it all back because kids will be back to school tomorrow morning. So if you can stick around and help us put everything back, uh, we would very much appreciate that. Um, and then also for the members of Haynes Creek, if you are a member of this church, we are having a members meeting next Sunday where we get to uh, walk through our proposed 2024 budget, uh, which I know is everybody's top of the list of things to talk about. It'll be a lot of fun. So hope you can be here for that, but we'll have that right after service next Sunday. Uh, we should be getting you the budget uh, here soon, so check your emails. If you don't get our emails, let me know so I can make sure we get that to you before next Sunday so you can look over it and have any questions prepared for the that meeting. Um, and uh, as it is Thanksgiving weekend, I hope you guys did have a wonderful Thanksgiving. I know that can always be, uh, you know, really fun. Or if some of you step into those family moments where you're like, I just pray this goes well, right? So I hope that you did have a wonderful Thanksgiving. And the thing about Thanksgiving, it reminds us how much uh, being thankful and being grateful and having gratitude is really a mindset, right? It's choosing to be thankful for what we have and, and focus on what the Lord has blessed us with rather than what we don't have. And I think that's a, a good transition, hopefully a good preparation for where we're going to go today. We're going to dig into our, our final uh, section of Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11. So we started this a few weeks ago where we, we've been walking really slow through these verses, especially verses 6 through 11, because we said we wanted to make sure we understood what Paul was saying, because there's, there's a command that he gives in verse 5, and for us to really understand verse 5 and what, we, what it means to walk obediently to that command, we have to understand verses 6 through 11. So we spent our time doing that, and now we're going to circle back today to Philippians chapter 2, verse 5, that starts this whole section off and see what Paul has for us. And in that verse, he calls us to have a specific attitude or mindset, to see things in this world, to see our lives in a specific way. So let's, let's get there. Let's, let's dig into that as we've been doing this entire time. I'm going to read the whole section to make sure we read it and understand it in context. Um, and like I said, we're going we're gonna to spend our time hanging out in verse 5. So you have your Bibles, open up to Philippians chapter 2. If you don't have your Bible, it's all good. We'll have the verses right here on the screen behind me. But starting in verse 5, Paul writes this, "...adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus." who existing in the form of God did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. And when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on a cross." For this reason, God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name. So to the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So here at the beginning of this entire section, in verse 5, Paul says, adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus. He commands us here in this section to have the same attitude, to have the same mind, the same mindset as Jesus. And then he goes into verses 6 through 11, and this hymn that we've been walking through, this poem, whatever it is, all about who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. 
And there's, there's a reason why we spent so much time walking through those verses before we came back to verse 5. It's because if we really are going to have the same attitude, the same mindset as Jesus, well, then we, we have to understand Jesus, right? We have to understand who Jesus is and what he's done so that we can walk in that and follow his example. And that's why Paul gives verses 6 through 11 right after verse 5. If we're going to have the same mindset, if we're going to have the same attitude as Jesus, well, then we have to understand who Jesus is and what he's done. And this section, verses 5 through 11 of Philippians chapter 2, is part of a larger section in Philippians that starts all the way back in chapter 1, verse 27, and carries to chapter 2, verse 18. And, and many people believe this is like the, the main central point of Paul. These are the central key verses of Philippians chapter, or of the letter of Philippians. This is why Paul is writing. These are his key instructions to the Philippians and to us today. And when we look at this entire section, it's all about us following Jesus, living for Jesus, and what it looks like to be a Christ follower. He's using these verses to call the Philippians and, and us today to live and follow Jesus. So we saw in verses 1, 27 through 30, I know y'all probably don't remember, that was weeks ago, I don't really super remember all that either, but, but that, I know that was a long time ago, but in verses 1, 27 through 30, Paul gives this call to, to live our lives, in a, live our lives in, in a way that is worthy of the gospel, that is honoring to Jesus and his sacrifice. And he calls us as believers, as the church, to work together for the gospel, right? Contend together for the gospel, work together to accomplish the mission of God. And then we see in verses 2, 1 through 4, this call to humility, right? Paul calls us to be unified together as believers, as the church. And the way we do that is by walking humbly, living a humble life, where we're not looking and focused just on, on me and myself and what I can get, but, but looking to others, living to serve and, and care for others and meet the needs of others. And then in verse 5, he calls us to have this attitude, the same attitude as Jesus. And he goes in to all about who Jesus is in verses 6 through 11. And then when we, we're going to see over the next couple of weeks, verses 12 through 18, Paul continues his instruction on, hey, here's what it looks like to live for and follow Jesus. Live for and follow Jesus. It's all about becoming more and more like Jesus. And part of living for Jesus, part of following Jesus, is having the right attitude, the right mindset, the right disposition in life. Again, look at, look at verse 5. Adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus. And then that phrase, adopt the same attitude, is, is all one word in the original Greek language. And it's the Greek word phroneo. Phroneo. And phroneo could be translated here, uh, attitude, or it could be mind or mindset or disposition. The word means to develop an attitude, develop a mindset based on careful consideration of something, right? So you're, you're looking at something, considering something, thinking through something, and as a result of that, you're developing a certain mindset. So Paul's saying here that, look, we're to, we're to look to Jesus, look at Jesus, study Jesus, learn from Jesus, and then develop our attitude, our mindset, our disposition in life based on Jesus and who he is and what he's done for us. And, and Paul writes it here as, as a command, right? This is not a suggestion. This is not just food for a thought. This is a command given to us by Paul. He is commanding us here to have the same attitude, the same mindset. And look, we can look at the context here and know what that means, right? We can look at that and go, yeah, that sounds great, right? Like, I think we, if we're Christ followers, we would all look at that and say, yes, Travis, we agree. We should have the same mindset as Jesus. And we can look at the context here and kind of know 
what that means, that we're to be unified, we're to, we're to be humble, we're to serve other people, right? And we can just leave it at that. We can just leave it as like, yes, that's what we're supposed to do. But I think there's deeper questions we need to ask ourselves, and the deeper question is, is how? Like too often we just stop at, at, at the what, at, at agreeing with what it says, and just going, yeah, that sounds great. And we just leave it at that. And we don't spend our time thinking, you know, how does this actually play out in my life? How do I have the same attitude? How do I live a humble life? How am I to be unified with other believers? Not just agreeing with the what, but asking how. I had a, uh, a friend one time tell me um, that when he reads things, he, he writes in the column uh, YBH all the time when he's reading anything. YBH. I'm like, what does that mean? What does that stand for? And he said, it stands for yes, but how? Yes, but how? So he'll read something, oh, yes, I agree with that. Yes, that sounds great. Okay, but how do I actually do that? What does that actually look like in a practical standpoint? And that's help, that helps us get deeper. We need to do that when we come to Scripture, when we read uh, anything. It, it's nice just to look at something and go, yeah, that sounds good. Yeah, I agree with that. Yes, we would all say yes to that. And we could stop there, but, but we're not supposed to. We need to dig a little deeper and ask how. And that's what today and the next couple of weeks are going to be about is, is how do we follow Jesus? Not just saying, yes, we should live for Jesus. Yes, we should walk in obedience. Yes, we should be humble. Yes, we should serve others. But how do we actually do that? What does that look like from a practical standpoint? You know, we would all agree that we should have the same attitude as Jesus. But we need to ask ourselves, okay, well, how do I actually do that? What does that actually look like in my life today? And this is an important step, right? This is, this is Paul going a, a, an extra level deeper for us because he's not just focusing on the actions, right? He's not just saying, be humble, be unified, contend for the gospel, and just leave it at that. He's taking it a step further and saying, no, no, no your mindset matters. Your attitude matters. And we all know that, right? Like, we, we know that. We can do things but have the wrong attitude, and that kind of negates even the good things that we're doing if we have the wrong attitude, right? Like, my wife can ask me, hey, why don't you go give Mila a bath and get her ready for bed? And I can go, I don't want to do that. I'm going to be in a bad mood about that. Or, hey, can you help clean up the kitchen? No, of course I don't want to do that. Who wants to clean up the kitchen and do dishes? Nobody in the world wants to do that. It has to be done. So I have an option. I can, I can be grumpy and have a sour attitude about that, and I, I could still get it done. It's like, well, I still did it, and, and she's going to look at me like, yeah, but you were angry the whole time. Like, how was that helpful? How, how does that work? Like, I do the same thing with my kids. Like, hey, can you clean up your room? Oh, Dad, I don't want to clean up my room. Okay, we well, still got to do it. Like, have a good attitude and do the things that are matter. Like, these things influence each other. Like, we know that, right? Like, we know at work, if we have a bad attitude and we're always grumpy when our boss asks us to do things, well, eventually we're just going to stop doing those things. Right? Same at home. If my wife asks me to do things and I constantly have a bad attitude about it, a wrong mindset about it, eventually I'm just going to stop doing that stuff. Our mindset influences our actions. That's what Paul is trying to get us to see here. It's not just about the outward actions. Can I serve people? Can I, can I uh, have a, a humble outlook in terms of what other people see? Can I, can I be unified and have a wrong attitude? Yes, absolutely. Paul's saying that, that we can't do that. We can't separate these things. We can't just have the outward action or expression of following Jesus. We also have to have the right mindset. And that's what he's digging into here. So let's ask the question. Yes, we agree with that. We would say yes to that, but how? How do we actually have the right mindset? How do we have the mind of Jesus to think like Jesus? So I want to give you two thoughts uh, for our time today on how we can have and how we can develop the same mindset, the same attitude as Jesus. So the first one, if you're taking notes, write this down. 
the first step of how to have the mind or the attitude as Jesus is to remind ourselves of truth. Remind yourself of truth. We are to remind ourselves of truth. If we're going to have the right mindset, the right attitude, the same attitude of Jesus, and again, we know what that means, right? Being, being humble, being unified, serving other people, following his commands. Like, if we're going to do that and have the right attitude, the first step that we have to do is we have to constantly remind ourselves of truth. We have to constantly remind ourselves. Remember is one of the most frequent commands given in all of Scripture, God is constantly calling us and commanding us to remember, to not forget him and his ways. Now, why does he do that? Why? It's because we're forgetful people, right? We're forgetful people. All of us are. We all tend to forget things. Some of us more than others, and I'm definitely in the more than others camp, right? But we are, we are forgetful people. Just the other day, I can't even remember what I was asked to do, but Kendra, she was getting my love ready for bed, and she's like, hey, can you go down and downstairs and, and do this one thing? Again, I can't remember what it was. It's like two days ago. I can't remember what it was that she asked me to do. I think it was maybe go get more diapers or something like that. I don't know. But I, I I, I left in that moment. I was like, yeah, I got you. I'll go do that. I left in that moment. I walked right downstairs. I mean, we're talking like 10 seconds. I go downstairs. I forgot. Totally forgot what I went down there for. But in that moment, I remembered something else that I needed to do. So I go and do that thing. And then I come back upstairs and Kendra's like, hey, did you do that that I asked you to do? I'm like, you know what? I forgot. I forgot. She's like, that was literally 30 seconds ago. How did you forget? I'm like, I don't know. Can't answer that question, but I did. I'm going to own that. I totally forgot. Let me go and do that now. And thankfully, the second time, I remembered what I was supposed to do, and I, I did what I was supposed to do. But yeah, we, we are forgetful people, right? Like, we can forget things easily, and we can forget about God and His ways and all that He's done for us easily. This is why God is constantly calling us to remember and not forget. I mean, we see this all throughout the Bible. I mean, all throughout the Old Testament, God is constantly pointing the Israelites back to their history. He's constantly telling them, remember Abraham, remember Isaac and Jacob, remember the Exodus, remember Moses, remember that you were once slaves in Egypt and I set you free. Remember your time wandering in the wilderness as a result of your disobedience. Remember what happened when you came into the promised land. Remember these things. Don't forget. Why is he doing that? It's because he knows that we forget. We have this, this moment that we do every single service, communion. And when we see communion being instituted by Jesus and the apostles, why is it instituted? It's a means of remembrance. It's a way for us to remember who Jesus is and what he's done for us. And y'all, we need that reminder all the time. We are forgetful people. And again, this is why Paul has verses 6 through 11, right? It almost seems like, like this big detour that he takes. When you, when you take out verses 6 through 11 and you just read it without those verses, like it all still makes sense. It all flows. But when you kind of put verses 6 through 11 back in there, this hymn about Jesus and all that he's done, it's kind of like, wait, Paul, what would you do? Okay, you're telling me and you're commanding me to do all these different things. And then you say, have the same mindset. And then you have these other thoughts in verses 12 through 18. And then there's this 6 through 11, like what's going on here? It seems like a detour. But Paul's doing it on purpose. He's saying, okay, here's what I want you to do. I want you to be humble. I want you to be unified. I want you to have the same mindset of Jesus. And by means of reminding you, here's who Jesus is, and here's what he's done for us. The Philippians needed that reminder. We need that reminder too. Again, if we're going to have the same attitude as Jesus, we have to understand who Jesus is and what he's done for us. So if we're going to have the, the same attitude as Jesus, the same mindset as Jesus, we need to fill our minds with the things of Christ. We have to fill our minds with the things of Christ. If we're going to think like Jesus, we have to have thoughts centered on Jesus. And the way we do that, three steps to that, is, is one, we have to know the truth. We have to know the truth. We have to know the truth of Jesus. 
We have to know things about him, right? If we're going to remember the truth of Jesus, we have to first know the truth of Jesus. And that, again, that's why we've spent so much time walking slowly through verses 6 through 11. We have to get Jesus right. It's important for us to get Jesus right. These things, these, these truths, these doctrines, this theology of Jesus, it matters. It matters. This is why we constantly call people to, to read Scripture and to dig into Scripture and why it's so important to spend daily time reading the Word of God. If we're going to want to think like Jesus and be like Jesus and live like Jesus, we have to know all about Jesus. And we have to remind ourselves of that all the time. We have to read these things over and over and over. And you're like, Travis, I've read that story a thousand times. I know. Read it for the thousandth and first time. And I'm telling you, God's going to teach you something new. He's going to bring something new to light. He's going to show you and reveal something to you in a new way that you never even thought of before. That's the beauty of Scripture. That's why we read it over and over and over again. That's why we constantly come back to it. It's because we need to know the truth of Jesus. And that is found here in his word. we got to know. That's why studying theology and doctrine is important. That's a big deal. That, that, that stuff matters. We need to know the truth of Jesus. We need to spend time soaking in the deep things of Jesus. You know, it's a big deal for us to know what we believe and why we believe those things. This matters. It's not a waste of time to study theology and dig into doctrine. It's good. It's important. It's valuable for us. So first, we have to know the truth. Second, we have to believe the truth, right? We can't just have a head knowledge of the things of God. We can't just have it sit in our minds as just facts about Jesus. We can just spout out a bunch of theology and facts and doctrine. But if, that, if that, those facts, if those things don't sink down deep into our hearts, it doesn't really matter. We've just puffed ourselves up with knowledge. So not only do we have to know the truth, we have to actually believe the things about Jesus and his word. We have to believe these things to be true and believe that they matter. And why is that? It's because every sin that we will struggle with, every temptation that we face, every sin that we stumble in can trace itself back and find its root in believing a lie about God. Every single sin. Every single sin that we struggle with, we can trace back to a lie that we've chosen to believe about God. Look, our enemy is a liar and is constantly working to get us to believe lies. He's been doing this from the beginning. The very first sin with Adam and Eve, what did he say? He came into the garden, and he's like, did God really say? Did God really say not to eat that? Did God really say that you would die? And they're like, yeah, he said that. And he's like, okay, well, do you know why? You know why he said that? It's because he doesn't want you to be like him. He knows that if you eat of that, you're going to be like him. He doesn't want that. No, he wants you to, to stay dependent on him. He doesn't want you to be equal or above him, but that's what's going to happen if you eat that tree. And Adam and Eve were like, okay, yeah, that sounds great. Let's do that. They believed a lie, and sin entered the world as a result of that. And he's been doing that playbook ever since. He does it to us. Every single sin that we struggle with can be traced back to a lie that we've believed about God. Satan loves to take our doubts and our questions and twist those into sin. Loves to do that. The battle for living for Jesus starts here. It starts in our mind. It starts with the truth that we're to believe about Jesus. And again, this is why it's important for us to know scripture, to know doctrine and theology, so that we can spot the lies, so that we can spot the things that aren't true, so that when we hear somebody say something or we read something in a book or something, we can go, you know what? No, that, that doesn't line up. That doesn't match scripture. Nope, 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 nope. Not going to believe that. Not going to follow that. Because look, we, we can say things in a really good 
you know, uh, wonderfully coherent, eloquent way. You can hear something like, man, that sounds good, but it's not true. But if we don't know the truth, we cannot spot the lies. We can't spot the things that aren't true. And we're just going to be, as Ephesians 4 says, just, just tossed around by every wind of doctrine out there. We have to know the truth. We have to believe the truth. Discipleship starts with our mind. Following Jesus starts with our mind. This is what Paul says in Romans 12. Romans 12, 1 through 3 says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. Do not be conformed to this age, meaning don't live like the rest of the world. Don't live like the culture around you. And, and how to do that? Be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. For by the grace given to me, I tell everyone among you not to think of himself. There's our word for now. To think of himself more highly than he should think. Instead, think sensibly or think wisely as God has distributed the measure of faith to each one. So Paul says, look, you want to live for Jesus? You want to live as this living sacrifice that we're called to be for Jesus, to give our lives to Jesus? Man, it starts with your mind. It starts with looking at the world around you and saying, nope, not going to live for that, not going to follow that. I'm going to follow Jesus. I'm going to live for Jesus. I'm going to think sensibly or think wisely or think rightly about myself and about the world around me. 2 Corinthians 10, 4 through 5 says this, since the weapons of our warfare are not of flesh, but are powerful through God for the demolition of strongholds, we demolish arguments. And every proud thing that is raised up against the knowledge of God, we take every thought captive to obey Christ. The call here is to take every thought captive. What does Paul mean by that? What Paul means by that is that we take all of our thoughts, all of our opinions, all of our viewpoints, all of our will, all of our emotions, all of our questions, all of our whatever things we have going on in our mind, we bring all of those and submit them to Jesus. And we give it over to Jesus and the Holy Spirit and say, look over all of it and tell me where I'm out. Tell me where I'm off. Tell me where I've strayed from your truth. And y'all, that can be a scary thing. Right, that can be a scary thought because we're, we're all typically driven by our own opinions and by our emotions and things like that. Like that, that's typically what guides us. And taking those things and bringing them to Jesus and say, hey, if there's anything out of line, I want you to demolish it and destroy it and bring it in line with you. Like, that can be scary. That can, that can bring some, some hard truths to our lives that, that, that's ultimately good for us, but can be a little difficult. But that's what we're called to do. That's what it means to follow Jesus. That's what it means to have the mind of Christ is saying, Jesus... Wherever I'm off base, wherever I've strayed, wherever I'm out of bounds, I want you to bring it back in line with you. Destroy those wrong thoughts, beliefs, opinions that I have and bring them under your authority. See, too often what we do is we see scripture and we're like, oh, you know what? I disagree with that. I don't like that. And we go with our opinion. We follow our opinion. But look, when we read scripture, when we see the things of Jesus that we don't like, we don't change scripture. We don't change what Jesus says. We change what we believe. We change our thoughts, our opinions, our emotions. That's what it means to submit everything to the authority of Jesus here. So we, we need to know the truth. We need to believe the truth so that we can spot the lies that are out there. And then we need to remind ourselves of that truth. We need to remember the truth. We need to remind ourselves constantly of what we've learned, of what we're learning about the truth that we're called to believe. 
We need to constantly preach to ourselves and remind ourselves of the things of Jesus, of the gospel, because we are forgetful people. This is why I encourage you to take notes, right? This is, I don't just say that for fun. Like, it's important for us to write these things down. I, for me in my life, my wife can tell you this. If I don't write it down, I'm not going to remember it. And just constantly tell me, hey, you forgot about that. Did you write it down? No. Well, that's why you forgot it. I know. But there's also times where I write it down and I still forget. Like, that's how forgetful we are. We need to write things down. That's why I say, like, hey, underline this in your Bible. Circle this in your Bible. Take notes. Write things down so that it sticks, so that we remember it, so that we can go back and go, oh, yeah, that's what God was teaching me there. That's what God wants me to learn there. That's what he wants me to know. We need to remember. And again, this is scattered all throughout Scripture. Let me just read some of these verses. Psalm 103, verse 2 says, My soul, bless the Lord, and do not forget all his benefits. Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy is all about remembering. It is Moses getting before this new generation of Israelites who didn't live in the time of the Exodus, who didn't live as slaves in Egypt, but now have been wandering around in the wilderness ready to go into the promised land where he takes a moment, he pauses, he's like, hey, we just need to, to look back at our history and remember all about what God has done for us. He says this in Deuteronomy 6. Listen, Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. These words that I am giving to you today are to be in your heart. Repeat them to your children. Talk about them when you sit in your house, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, and when you get up. Bind them as a sign on your hand and let them be a symbol on your forehead. Write them on the doorposts of your houses and on your city gates. Why? Look at verse 12. Jump down to verse 12. Be careful not to forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the place of slavery. Don't forget. Remember these things. Write them on the doorpost. Uh, talk about them all the time with your family, with your kids. Anytime you're walking around, talk about the things about why. Why does God want us to do that? Because he knows we're going to forget. We have to remember. Deuteronomy 8.11. Be careful that you don't forget the Lord, your God, by failing to keep his commands, ordinances, and statutes that I'm giving you today. Remember, when we jump into the New Testament, one of the, the key ways that we're called to remember is through the act of communion. This is what Paul writes about communion in verse, uh, Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 11, verse 23. He says, For I received from the Lord what I passed on to you. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup and supper after supper and said, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Why are we to do communion? Why are we to eat and drink? Among several other reasons, one of the primary reasons we do that is to remember, is to have a tangible moment that forces us to dwell on, to think, and remember who Jesus is and what he's done for us. And y'all, this is why we do it every single Sunday. We are forgetful people, and we need to constantly be reminded of who Jesus is and what he's done for us. And communion helps us do that. This is why we do it every single week. So our mindset matters. It matters how we think. It matters how we, are. if we follow Jesus, we, we have to fill our minds with the things of Christ. I love how First uh, Peter 1, 13 through 15 puts this whole concept as we kind of wrap up this point. Peter writes, Therefore, with your minds ready for action, be sober-minded and set your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the desires of your former ignorance. But as the one who called you is holy, you also are to be holy in all your conduct. 
So this, this call to be holy. Peter doesn't just come out and say, hey, just be holy. Just, just follow Jesus. Just walk with him. Just, you know, do the things that Jesus said to do. Like, he could have just said that. He could have just left it, again, at the what. But he deals with the how. We have to have the right mindset. If we're going to walk as obedient children, as we're, if we're going to walk a, and live a holy lifestyle, we have to have the right mindset. And he writes, to be sober-minded. We, we see that all throughout the New Testament, this idea of being sober-minded. It basically means to, to think clearly. To think clearly. To be self-controlled with our thoughts and stay grounded in truth. Now, that sounds easy, but, but how often do we let, you know, one comment from somebody or, or one, you know, perceived comment by somebody or one event in our life to just redefine everything we thought? Everything we thought about who we are, about that person, or whatever it is, like, oh, well, this person said this thing. And it's not that, you know, maybe they were having a bad day. No, now it's that they hate me and wish an evil destruction to my life, right, because they said that thing. When maybe they just didn't sleep well last night, and they're just grumpy, and they're just having a bad day, and they wish they could take that back, but they can't. You know, like, it's not that everybody's out to get you. It's not that this one bad moment, this, this one bad event in my life, this one bad circumstance means that my life is just absolutely cursed, right? Like, and I have no hope. But how often do we do that? How often do we let our minds just go on this downward spiral and create this false version of reality? The enemy loves to do that, to lead us astray and away from Jesus. This is what it means to think soberly, to think clearly, to be grounded in truth, is we don't let ourselves go down that road. We stop the downward spiral before we get too far. Look, that's difficult. I'm not saying that's easy. That's that's what it means to be self-controlled in our thoughts. So to have the same attitude as Jesus, we have to fill our minds with the truth of Jesus. To do that, we have to know the truth, we have to believe the truth, and we have to constantly remind ourselves of that truth every moment, every day, so that we can think clearly and ground ourselves in the truth of Jesus. All right, number two, number two. So we have to remind ourselves of truth. Number two, to have the mindset of Jesus, we have to choose to see like Jesus. We have to choose to see like Jesus. So in order to, uh, to have the mind of Jesus, we have to think like Jesus. In order to think like Jesus, we have to see the world around us as Jesus would. We have to see things as Jesus sees them. Look, as we've said, we, we tend to see our lives and the people around us through our own perspective and viewpoint and opinions and emotions and will, right? Like, we are driven by that. We primarily only see things how we want to see them, right? This is why it's so difficult sometimes to have a conversation with somebody who disagrees with us because we're both entrenched in our own viewpoint and we're not going to come to a compromise. We're not going to meet in the middle. We're not going to see things from that person because they're wrong and why would I waste my time seeing the viewpoint from somebody who's clearly wrong about whatever we're talking about? Meanwhile, it's like you can have two opinions and it's okay to disagree on these things, like right? But we don't think like that. We think in terms of black and white, right and wrong, you're wrong, I'm right. That's usually how it is. It's not usually, well, I'm wrong and you're right. Like, how often do we have that mindset, right? No, it's usually they're wrong. So we're, we're totally consumed and driven by our own viewpoint. But in order to have the same attitude as Christ, in order to, to walk in obedience to this command, we have to get out of our own viewpoint. We have to get out of our opinions, out of our mindset, and look at the world, look at our lives as Jesus does. We, we have to, to see things through the lens of Jesus. Right? We, have to, we have to put Jesus' glasses on to see the world properly. 
I don't know if you guys have seen these. They just, I feel like, came out with these, these recently. But um, we're, we've been unpacking all of our Christmas stuff this week and, you know, decorating inside and outside and all that. And our kids really get into it. It's a lot of fun. We already have the most lights of anybody in our neighborhood right now. We'll see if that stands as more people put out. But if they have more than that, it just means I have to go buy more lights so that we can have more. But anyways, uh, what, what our kids were, were given by a neighbor a few years ago or a couple years ago were these these glasses that, that if you put them on, like they're, they're either, um, you know, like Christmas tree. They have like a Christmas tree on it or or a gingerbread man, or a snowman on it, and when you put those glasses on and you look at Christmas lights, it transforms the Christmas light into whatever, uh, you know, whatever thing it is. So it's like you look at it, you're looking at a tree with Christmas lights on it, you put on the, the Christmas tree glasses, and all you see are a bunch of Christmas trees, or a bunch of snowmen, or a bunch of gingerbread men. Like, it's really cool. It's pretty wild how this works. They're like 3D glasses, you know, kind of just alters the way you see things. Well, that's what we need to do when we come to Jesus. We need to put some Jesus glasses on so that we look at our lives and the world around us through the lens of Jesus. We need to transform how we view and interpret our life through the vision and the eyes of Christ. That's what we're called to do here. And look, that's that's really difficult if we try to do that on our own, and that's not the call of Scripture, right? We're not called to just do this on our own, in our own strength, in our own way. Because again, left to ourselves, we're just going to translate the world through our own opinions and our viewpoint and our perspective, right? So in order to do this, we, we, have, we have to rely on the Holy Spirit. That's one of the things that the Holy Spirit does, is he helps us see the world through the lens of Jesus. And this is how Paul puts it in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, starting in verse 10, says, Now God has revealed these things to us by the Spirit, since the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except his Spirit within him? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have not received the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who comes from God, so that we may understand what has been freely given to us by God. We also speak these things not in words taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by the Spirit, explaining spiritual things to spiritual people. But the person without the Spirit does not receive what comes from God's Spirit, because it is foolishness to him. He is not able to understand, since it is evaluated spiritually. The spiritual person, however, can evaluate everything and yet he himself cannot be evaluated by anyone. For who has known the Lord's mind that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. It's part of what happens when we put our faith in Jesus. Part of that transforming our mind happens through the Holy Spirit. He gives us the mind of Christ. And I, I, I love this. Paul's like, look, you're the only one that knows your own thoughts, right? Like nobody knows what you're, I don't know what you're thinking right now. Only you know what you're thinking right here in this moment. And Paul's saying, look, nobody knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. And guess what you've been given? The Spirit of God. And the Spirit of God is the one who teaches you the mind of God, the thoughts of God. Gives you the mind of Christ so that you can evaluate everything through that lens. This is what the Holy Spirit does. He's given us the mind of Christ. We need to use that mind. We need to rely on the Holy Spirit to help us interpret the, word, uh, to interpret the world around us through Jesus and his word. Colossians 3, 1 through 4 puts it this way. So if you have been raised with Christ, meaning that you're a believer, you've put your faith in Jesus, seek the things that are above. Live for Jesus and his ways, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds, there's our word, a freneo there. Set your minds on the things above, not on earthly things. 
For you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. So when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. So Paul says that, that our life is Christ, that, that our, our life is hidden with Christ. We, we see, he says the same thing here in Philippians chapter 1, right? To live is Christ. If you are a believer, your life is to be given and lived in full submission to Jesus, following Jesus with everything. If you're going to do that, he says right here, you have to set your mind on Jesus. You have to fill your mind with the things of Christ. And, you know, that has to be a daily, every moment of every day choice for us, that we are going to choose to see the world through the lens of Jesus, to put on our Jesus glasses and see whatever's going on in our lives and in the world around us as Jesus would. So how, how do we do that? How do we do that? Well, one, we, we got to slow down. We got to slow down and have this thought process play out with us, right? Again, we're left to ourselves. If we just trust our own way, we're just going to see things through our own opinion, through our own viewpoint. But we have to slow ourselves down, right? We have to slow ourselves down and ground ourselves in truth and see how, uh, how whatever's going on through the eyes of Jesus. As we said, we have to bring everything in our lives, our, our will, our thoughts, our emotions, our viewpoints, our our perspective, we have to bring that under the authority of Jesus. I, I got to, can you put that picture up, Blake? How many of you guys know what that is? How many of y'all know what that is? Better question. How many of y'all had one of those bracelets at one point? It's okay. This is a safe place. You can admit that. It's okay. It's okay. Look, these are the WWJD bracelets. What, what does that mean? Y'all remember what that means? Shout it out. What would Jesus do? Man, this was all the rage in like the early, mid-90s, late-90s. Every like youth group kid in America probably had one of these bracelets at one point. Man, this was like all the rage. And I know, look, it can be a little cheesy, and I'm not telling you to wear bracelets or anything like that. But, y'all, that's a legit question that we need to be asking ourselves all the time. If you are going to see things through the lens, through the perspective, and have the mind of Jesus, we have to slow ourselves down and ask that question. What would Jesus do? How would Jesus respond? How would Jesus see whatever it is I have going on, right? We have to ask ourselves in every moment and everything that we have going on. I mean, think about uh, the people in your life. How would Jesus view the people in your life? Does Jesus view a people as a burden, as, as being difficult? I mean, look, we, look, we can be real like this. Again, this is a safe place. I won't have you name names. You don't have to admit anything. You don't have to raise your hand here. But there are people in our lives that maybe are a little difficult, that maybe are a little hard to get along. In, in the Christian world, we say that those people are more grace required, right? Like you just, you need a little bit more grace to deal with them. You need to give them a little bit more grace because they're a little bit challenging. And some of y'all live with one of those people and you're like, yeah, Travis, they're right here next to me. I have to deal with them every single day. Talk about more grace. Like, give me that grace right now. Like, sometimes people can, can be a little challenging. Sometimes we can be a little challenging if we're being honest. And look, the temptation is to be oh, Oh, I got to deal with this person. Oh, I got to go talk to that. Oh, here they are. They're coming. They're going to sit next to me. And I'm gonna... Like, we can view people as a burden. We can see these, these opportunities to serve and care for people and to come alongside those who are walking through a difficult moment as like, oh, man, well, that means I got to rearrange my schedule. That means I can't do these things because so, I got to go help these people out. Like, it's easy for us to see people as a burden. Is that how Jesus sees people? No, no, it's not. Is that how we're called to see people? No. I love this uh, way that we, we see this play out in Jesus' life, and, and it comes in, in Luke chapter 8. We see this moment. Luke chapter 8, verse 40, it says this. 
When Jesus returned, the crowd welcomed him, for they were all expecting him. Just then, a man named Jairus came. He was a leader of the synagogue. He fell down at Jesus' feet and pleaded with him to come to his house because he had an only daughter, about 12 years old, and she was dying. While he was going, the crowds were nearly crushing him. A woman suffering from bleeding for 12 years who had spent all she had on doctors and yet could not be healed by any approached from behind and touched the end of his robe. Instantly, her bleeding stopped. Who touched me? Jesus asked. When they all denied it, Peter said, Master, the crowds are, are hemming you in and pressing against you. Someone did touch me, Jesus said. I know that power has gone out for me. When the woman saw that she was discovered, she came trembling and fell down before him. In the presence of all the people, she declared the reason she had touched him and how she was instantly healed. Daughter, he said to her, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Now, there's a couple of different things going on here that, that tells us Jesus' outlook on people. First of all, man, Jesus comes to this town, this place, with his own agenda, right? He's got his own plans. He's got his own thing. Like, I'm going here to accomplish this, to do these things. Right? Jesus didn't walk around aimlessly, just kind of like, oh, I'm just going to be led around by the wind and just figure out. Like, no, that's not Jesus, man. He, he was uh, clearly following an objective in his mind. And here comes this guy, Jarius, and he's like, hey, I need you to come to my house right now. Now, of course, Jesus knows everything. He knew this moment was coming, but just from a, a worldly perspective, like, that wasn't on the agenda for that day. Like, the disciples had Jesus' itinerary. Jarius busting in and saying, hey, come to my house, wasn't part of the plans. But Jesus doesn't view it as like, well, this is an inconvenience. No, he sees, man, like, you really need help. You need me to come and help your daughter. Like, yeah, we're going to change things up, and we're going to go do that. And then the other part that happens is, is while he's doing that, while he's on his way to this pressing, time-sensitive matter, like a literal life-and-death situation, this woman reaches out, touches Jesus, and Jesus stops everything. He stops, and it's like, whoa, some, something just happened. We got we to gotta talk about this. And I'm sure Jerry says, like, are you serious? Really? Like, we don't got time for this. Let's go, man. My daughter is dying. I'm sure the disciples are like, why are we stopping? Of course people are touching me. And then there's a bunch of crowd, a bunch of people. Of course, there's like thousands of people touching you. Just what do you mean somebody touched you? Everybody's touching you. And she's like, no, no, no. Something happened here. And he pauses this extremely time-sensitive life-and-death situation to talk to this woman who has been suffering for years. And all she had to do was reach out, touch Jesus, get healed in that moment. But what I'm going to focus on is how Jesus deals with this woman. And I'm sure that this, this woman has been going through it, has been suffering, has been struggling, and maybe even is viewed as a burden by those in her life. But here is Jesus, and he treats her with the utmost respect and dignity and love and care and concern. She's not a burden to him. Even though she clearly stopped what he had planned, what he had going on, what he was going to accomplish, she put a stop to all of that. Jesus isn't mad. He's not frustrated. He takes this moment and absolutely shows all the care, love, grace, and mercy to this woman. And that's how we're to view people. If we're going to view the people in our lives through the lens of Jesus, that's how we have to view them. Not as a burden, not as, oh, more grace required. No, as, as this is a person to love, care for, to show mercy and grace and love to. How, how we think, how, man, how can, I, how can I serve this person today? This person that the Lord has brought into my life. Man, you might seem like on a worldly perspective like, like you're a distraction or an issue or a problem, but no, that's a God opportunity to care for somebody the way that Jesus would. Okay, so that's how we see people the way that Jesus wants to. What about our circumstances? What about our circumstances? What about the moments in our life, the events, the things that happen in our lives? How do we view those things? 
How are we, uh, how, how are we viewing those in the light of, of what we think and what we have going on? Or are we viewing those the way Jesus views them? Well, let's keep reading here in Luke chapter 8 because something wild happens here. Verse 49, while he was still speaking. So while he stopped and talking to this woman, somebody comes up from the synagogue leader's house and said, your daughter is dead. Don't bother the teacher anymore. When Jesus heard it, he answered him, don't be afraid. Only believe and she will be saved. After he came to the house, he let no one enter with him except Peter, John, and James, and the child's father and mother. Everyone was crying and mourning for her, but he said, stop crying because she is not dead, but asleep. They laughed at him because they knew that she was dead. So he took her by the hand and called out, child, get up. And her spirit returned, and she got up at once. Then he gave orders that she should be given something to eat. Her parents were astounded, but he instructed them not to tell no, to tell no one what had happened. So, I mean, just picture this. Like, this, Jesus is on his way to help this guy's dying daughter. And on the way, he gets stopped having this conversation with the lady. And in that moment, the daughter dies. And you try to imagine what Jarius is thinking in that moment. It's like, well, Jesus, if you had just hurried up, you would walked a little faster and stop and have this side conversation, maybe things would have been different. But just like, man, relax, everybody. I got this. I got this. And Jesus gets there, and he, and he heals this child, raises her from the dead. She was dead, and now she's alive, all because of Jesus. What that reminds us of is that, man, things are not the end with Jesus, right? Like, the end is not the end when it comes to Jesus. All hope is never lost when it comes to Jesus. We're reminded in this moment that Jesus is in control of everything, including life and death. He has final say over everything. That's what we talked about last week, right? He is over and in control of everything, and he is a good God that we can trust. So even though we look at a situation, and it's bleak, and it's bad, and it's terrible, and it's our worst moment, or even just a difficult day, how often do we let that moment just define our reality and just shift everything of what we thought of, where we were, and just it, it just ruins everything else? Right? Like, how often do we have a bad day, and we come home, and we're short with our spouse, we're yelling at our kids, we're just mad at the world, they didn't do anything, we just had a bad day. I'd love to say that I've never done that before, but that, that would be a lie. We've all done that. We've all had those moments. How often do we let our circumstances dictate our attitude and how we see things? All the time, right? All the time. This is how we need to see things through Jesus' perspective because man, a bad moment is not the end when it comes to Jesus, right? He is at work in all ways and in all things, always working for our good and his glory. That's what Scripture reminds us of. That's how we're to see our circumstances. We see it through the light of Jesus. What about decisions, right? Are we following my will or are we following Jesus? Are we pausing to ask ourselves, okay, I'm thinking through this big decision. I'm thinking through this moment. How would Jesus view this? How, how would the Holy Spirit want me to follow and, and be led by him and not my own self, right? Like, how do we do that? What about sin? Sin, how are we viewing sin? How do we view sin through the lens of Jesus? Are we just, you know, playing around with our sin? Are we just keeping it along? Like, oh, it's not a big deal. It's not a problem. It doesn't affect anybody. It just affects me. Like, nobody else knows about it. Like, is that how we view sin? Is that how Jesus views sin? No, look at Colossians 3, 5 says this, Therefore put to death what belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desire, and greed, which is idolatry. Put sin to death. And again, this comes right after Paul says, set your minds on Jesus. And the first step in doing that, put your sin to death. We don't play around with sin. Sin is dangerous, and it wants to destroy us. So we put it to death. That's how Jesus views sin and how he wants us to view sin. 
What about what, what's our attitude when it comes to, to church or other spiritual disciplines, right? Are we just like begrudgingly coming to church? Like, oh, you know, people want me to be there, so I guess I better be there. Right? What's our view on, on serving? Right? It's like, oh, man, I got to serve in the kids' ministry again today. Goodness, why do I have to do that? Wow, I, I know, what, you know, we didn't tear down last week, and I know if I go to service today, we're going to have to, I'm going to have to put up chairs and a bunch of stuff. Like, are we just kind of dragging ourselves there? Or are we like, oh, man, I got to wake up early and read scripture. Oh, I got to can't believe I have to spend time in the Word today. Like, okay, I say it kind of jokingly, but and we're kind of laughing about, like, because sometimes we have that mindset. Sometimes we have that mindset. Is that how Jesus wants us to see things? No, of course not. How can we reinterpret the world around us, reinterpret the things that Jesus has called us to, and see it through his perspective, to put those Jesus glasses on and interpret our lives and our world as Jesus would? What would Jesus do? We need to constantly ask ourselves that. When we go on and on and on with various things and moments in our lives and how we tend to see it from just our perspective rather than Jesus's. But the, the point here is, is, is that this is how we have the right mindset. This is how we have the same attitude, is we see things the way that Jesus sees them. We interpret the world around us through the lens of Jesus. We rely on what we've seen and heard and learned in Scripture. We, we rely on what we know about the character and the actions of Jesus. We rely on the Holy Spirit to give us the mind of Christ. We remind ourselves of all of these things. We constantly remember and remind ourselves of the truth of the gospel and we view our lives, our circumstances, the people around us, and on and on and on through the lens of Jesus. That's what Paul means when he says, hey, adopt the same attitude, and here's how you do it. So we are to have the same attitude, the same mind as Jesus. I'm going to pray for us in a moment, and we're going to step into what we do again every single Sunday. We always have this moment of worship and communion and again, this is why we do it, right? We, we want to have a moment in our services when we gather together as God's people to remember who Jesus is and what he's done for us. So I'm going to pray. And in a moment, the band's going to come back up. They're going to lead us in one more song. And I want to encourage every believer in the room because this is, a, this is for you, right? If you have put your faith in Jesus, this time, this moment is for you. So I want to encourage you, spend some time just dwelling on Jesus, filling your mind with the things of Christ, remembering who he is and what he's done. And then as you're ready, you go to the tables, you take the bread, you take the cup, you eat and drink and remember and celebrate our Savior. Let Jesus fill our hearts with gratitude and love for him. Let me pray for us. We'll step into this time of worship. Jesus, we thank you for who you are, for all that you've done, Lord. Jesus, I pray for each one of us, Lord, that we would walk in obedience to what you've given us today, Lord, that we would adopt the same attitude as you, that we would have the mind of Christ. Lord, I pray that we would remember your truth. We would remember your word. Lord, help us remember. Lord, forgive us when we forget and walk in our own ways. Lord, use moments like this to, to call us back to you. Jesus, would you help us see things the way that you would see them? Whatever we have going on, Lord, would we constantly ask ourselves, how do you want us to see this? How can we interpret this life moment through your eyes, through your word, through your truth? 
Give us your eyes, Lord. Give us your mind. We love you. We thank you. We lift high your name today. In your name we pray. Amen.